you are alive. Well, I want to give you a quick recap because we skipped last week. We've gone into Ephesians chapter 1 and I talked about two messages, the plan for belonging and redeemed identity. We talked about the idea that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because of our belonging. That God decided we were his even before sin entered the world. And that because God decided we were his before sin entered the world, he says, I need you to start understanding who you are so that your scales would fall off and see who you were originally created to be. We were originally created to be his. Simple. There is no anyone was predestined to be apart from God. The scripture is very clear that everyone was destined to be his son or be his daughter. But when sin entered the world, a divide happened. Not because God wanted it, but because it's what we walked into. And in this first book of Ephesians, it opens up saying, I want to reveal to you, the writer Paul says, the plan, the original plan, that you are adopted sons and daughters. And adopted sons and daughters didn't mean you were never once part of the family. Our idea of adoption is that someone was not part of the family, and then we adopted them into the family. The actual word for adoption in the scripture simply talks about this, getting you to the point of maturity to position you for your original intent. So when you are adopted sons and daughters, it's not that you were never part of the family, it's that you have to walk into a mature state of being ready to be placed into your original destiny, your original design. You are adopted. When he calls you adopted, basically he's saying you're ready. And far too long the church has been playing this religion game of let's get worthy when God says, I have made you worthy. The spiritual blessings, you're, 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 you're holy, you're perfect, you're righteous. Those things are spoken over us, yet the church operates as if we're still trying to earn our place. God says, you could never earn your place. I bought the right for you to operate as you always should have operated. Okay? And who you are is the redeemed identity of who you were before time began. Redeemed identity is the idea that God says, let me place you into who you were before time began. Before anything happened, it says that we were with him before we were even in our mother's womb. He says, I, I had this idea of you and how you were to function. And you need to embrace the redemption of that original plan instead of embracing a false sense of you that is failure. You were never designed to fail. You were designed to succeed. You were designed to be victorious. He is a victorious king, and if we are to walk with him, then we cannot settle for anything less than victory. Okay? And when, all, when we start to walk in this redeemed identity, the scripture said that all things will be brought under the authority of Christ. Now, many have taught that what that means is that one day Jesus is going to come back and that everything will be put under his authority. I want to challenge that thinking tonight. It's not that we are out of luck until Jesus returns. It's until Jesus returns, if we function in our identity, all things will be brought under his authority. Generation to generation, okay? It's not it's going to happen in one moment. It's a process. And when he returns, he deals with the one thing that we can't deal with. And that's taking care of death once and for all. Is that making sense? So Paul the Apostle, he ends the last chapter talking about the power of God raising Jesus from the dead. Essentially, the ultimate display of power. Taking a flesh that went to the grave, not only raising him to life, but seating him at his right hand. Raised him, 
seated him at his right hand, and it says above all power and all authority. I want to read those last two scriptures that we talked about last week to start this out. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, 22 to 23. It says, he put, what? All, all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. What is the church? It's his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me put this out there to you. If he put all things under the feet of Jesus and made Jesus to be the head of the body, then we have to understand that we are the feet of which all things are under. It says, he gave Christ to be the head, made you to be his body, and all things are under his feet. So if we are the hands and the feet of Christ, that means in the functioning of our identity, all things are not just under his feet, but all things are under our feet. And we say amen, and we praise God, and we say, yeah, we have authority, we have victory, yet we don't live as if we have dominion over all things. We live... With victim mentality. We live with, let us be victims of circumstance. Offense should be under your feet. If you get offended, that is not the person's fault who caused you to be offended. That's your fault for agreeing with a spirit of offense instead of saying, I stand on top of what is trying to get me to come into agreement with it. And quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of hearing people say, I'm offended. Well, you a victim. Is that, that too much? I don't care, but. That person who hurt you, the hurt should be under your feet. Not let me find a new identity that says I'm hurt. I was, I was reading some, some, some scientific stuff about this week, and there's something about the brain called, it's, it's the something-something response system. Uh, you know, I'm just, I, I'm, not, I'm not smart, so I can't remember the thing. Basically, this is how the brain works. It responds to what you take in. There's a literal thing that neurons do in the brain that basically it comes down to this. If you think nobody likes me, your brain will spend all day looking to prove that thought. So you won't see the positive things. Your brain literally looks for what is going to respond to no one likes me. So you start to see all the negative. Okay? That's why partly God says... Be renewed by transforming your mind. Your mind has a natural proclivity to respond to whatever you feed it. So you've got to start feeding it new things even if you don't believe it. That's part of walking by faith and not by sight. Even though I feel no one likes me, I have to accept the truth that my identity is fully accepted and belonging to Christ. And if I belong to my Father, then it really doesn't matter what goes on outside of me. So if I start feeding myself the idea that I am chosen, I am good, I am perfect, I am spotless, I am righteous, I am loved, your natural fleshly brain will start to look for agreement with your loved. Okay? Satan is under your feet. Do you believe that Jesus has conquered the devil? The de death, hell, and the grave? Well, guess what? He's under your feet. Yet we say things like, man, the enemy's really coming at me this week. He's under your feet. What could he possibly do? Oh, this country's going down. The status of the country is under your feet. 
Who cares what happens in the world if we are in the world and not of it? If we understand it's under our feet, then we understand we house an authority to change the course of it. But if we stay silent and go backwards, nothing's going to change because we're allowing the thing we're supposed to change be above us instead of under us. All things are under the feet of Christ, and we are the body that is him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ and members individually. We are all different parts of the body. So it don't matter if you're a foot, if you're a finger, or if you're a neck. No matter where you're at in the body, it's all under the lowest part of the body. It doesn't matter what funk, well, I'm not a foot, I'm a hand. It's under your hand. Every authority and power is under us. And here's the issue. We forget to allow him to be the head of what we do. So we, we get in this prideful, arrogant thing of, oh, the enemy's under my feet. But are you under submission to the right head? Because if you're not under the submission to the right head, then you'll walk in the false truth of things under your feet, and you'll actually start to walk in agreement with the other head, which is Satan. That's actually in Ephesians 2, we're going to talk about it a little bit. We are the body, and we need to put the body to action, because the body is not dead. It's what? It's alive. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. Once you were dead, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. It says once you were dead. You are not, you are not dead. You are not dead any longer. And when you start to understand that you're not dead, then the body needs to start moving in the realization that you are alive. I, I want to point this out in John 11, 43-44. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. We are not dead any longer. And when Jesus calls you from death to life, you don't sit there waiting for Jesus to come back in to proclaim life one more time. He, you do what he called Lazarus to do. Start walking out of the dead place. But many of us sit in dead places because we haven't had a revelation to the fact that you are in fact alive. And once you start walking, it says the dead clothes start to come off. But what I want you to notice, it wasn't because Lazarus took them off. Everyone else started stripping the grave clothes off. And many never get the grave clothes off because no one's helping to loose them. Because people look at you and they don't, they don't see something that's alive and walking. They see something that's dead. So when you operate as dead, you're not going to have a community, a community that says, hey, I see something on you that doesn't look like life. Let me help you take that off. Confess your sin to your brother so that you may be healed. And this, yep. We have limited healing to go get healed at this program and deliverance to go to this group to get deliverance. Do those things work? Absolutely. Are they valid? Absolutely. Do I think it should be a lot simpler than that? Absolutely. It should be you're in a community that says we're not going to allow you to keep the grave clothes on. Amen. We're not going to allow you to walk around the victim of what your daddy or your mama did. 
We're not going to allow you to walk around with a false identity of what someone did to you as a kid or what the boss did to your confidence. We are going to say, no, that is not you. Strip it off. But you can't get it stripped off if you don't start looking like life to those that you're surrounded with. you got to start walking. What does start walking mean? What I mean is you don't have to understand everything to start walking. You have to understand one thing. You are alive. You don't start managing money once you get money. You start managing money in anticipation that it's going to come. And what happens in church is we praise God for all of this. I'm alive. I'm alive. Jesus raised me from the dead. But I can't do anything until I get all my theological degrees and understand everything I need to know about Scripture. No, start walking, and then you start to walk in the revelation of truth. But if you are not walking in community and serving because you're alive, you're going to just walk around in grave clothes, and people are not going to want to help you do a dang thing. Is this too much? You want to know why it's important to understand who we belong to? Why it's important that you are part of the body? is so others will see you as alive and will not allow you to stay in a false, dead place. But here's the problem. People don't like it when someone comes to you and says you've got a bad attitude. And you get offended, not realizing they were pointing at a grave clothes. You don't like it when someone says, hey, you know, you're just an awful person to be around. (laughs) Not realizing they're trying to take that grave clothes off of, you suck at being with people. (laughs) Is it okay to say that word? Okay, I'm saying anyways. Because don't buy into the lie that you were not created to be in community. Dead people are not created to be in community. Alive people? are created for a body, not seclusion. People want to start removing grave clothes off of you, but you let the dead thing called the spirit of offense become more alive than the spirit of humility, which actually postures you for the growth. You ever feel bound up that you can't go anywhere? It's probably because you got some stuff that needs to be peeled off. And the only way to do it effectively is to get in community. But what happens in church? People get their feelings hurt, so they separate. Not realizing that that was the greatest compliment when someone told you about yourself. We're going to get deeper, but are you getting this? Okay. We are to love people so they open eyes to Jesus because, of, because our efforts will not sustain anything until we know who we are. People who don't know Jesus are just going to pick up the grave clothes when we try to take the grave clothes off. That's why scripture says that they've got to come to know him before they will ever understand what you're saying. That, I believe that's partly why the seeker-sensitive movement is a bunch of Stuff that ain't going to work. Because you got people coming in churches that are designed to be seeker friendly. And they're not going to hear anything because they don't know the one to open up their ears. I don't, (laughs) okay. I don't recall ever in the book of Acts people bringing lost people into the church. They went and showed them that they were alive, and their natural response was, let me get in that living community. But see, we, see I, I see some of your faces that you don't like that. If it, was, if it worked, the church will be doing much more than it is now. It's not working. You, know what, you want to know why people come to church every Sunday and they never change? Because they don't know the one that needs to change them. They know the religion. They know the rhythm. 
but they've missed him. Now, I'm not saying don't invite your unsaved friends necessarily. What I am saying is that you should be walking in such life that they don't have a chance to stay dead around you, period. We've developed a culture where people are coming into the church because, oh, the Holy Spirit's thick up in there. The oil is just flowing at that altar in that one city. Well, it's up to you to spread the oil wherever so that the same presence you feel in, feel in here is the same presence we'll feel driving through Yamacraw. Can you imagine going down one of the darkest streets of Savannah and just feeling the presence of God rather than darkness? You know why we don't? Because we contain it to a church meeting. And no one's walking alive. I know that this is offending a lot of thinking, but you're welcome. See, th th this whole chapter starts off with this idea of remember where you came from. Once you were dead. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of what we gained through Jesus before we be begin walking in righteousness. Remember what righteousness is. It's not right standing. Right standing is the byproduct of it. Righteousness is simply this. I am what I was created to be in my fullest portion. So let me remind myself before I can enter into my full portion, my original identity, who I was, before I can walk into that, let me remember I was dead. You were dead, but now you're alive. Now some versions say the scripture like this. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1, the New King James. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In most scriptures, if you, in the, and you, and, and, and you he made alive is actually in italics. The reason it's in italics, and you can put this into scripture, when you see something in italics, it means it wasn't there originally. The reason it was put there was to help you understand what you were dead in, in sins and trespasses actually means. It's saying it's trying to drive this point home that you were dead, but you are not dead anymore. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. In other words, you were not dead because of God. You were dead because of what you did. You were not dead because God created you to be dead. You were dead because of your trespasses and your sins. God never predestined anyone for death. The scripture says it. Death was because of your trespasses and your sins, not God's original design. Does it make sense? So he says, you were created to be alive, but you were dead because of what you were doing. You're dead because of yourselves. And he says, I love you so much that I'm going to go after every single one. And God is so powerful that he says, the ones that are denying me, they're going to feel my wrath for a good cause. Like Jonah in a big fish. You can run all you want, but I love you too much to let you run any further. So let me put something on you that's going to cause you to be miserable. When I see people talk about how miserable they are, my first question is, do you realize that that's a sign that God had to get involved because you weren't following? Because God did not create you to be miserable and burdened and pitiful. He created you to be alive. He created you to be walking in victory. So if you're not walking in agreement with that, something's off, and the grace of God will only let you go but so long before he gets involved. The issue is, well, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. I'm, I'm setting this up. I, I hope this is good. God says, I love you so much that I'll even send things to wake you up. But he also says, 
It's not because of me I had to send that thing. Let me say that again. I had to get involved to wake you up. But it wasn't because of me that I had to get involved. We adopt this false thinking that God plans all things. Are you freaking kidding me? You're telling me that God planned for babies to be aborted? You're telling me that God planned for people to be murdered outside of their time? You're telling me that God planned for people to walk in such misery that, that, that they, they, they turn to everything else? But God didn't plan that. But he says, because your trespass, you know what the word trespass means? It's pushing barriers that you were never meant to push through. Because we started pushing barriers of what he gave us. We started to walk into the sin light that starts to make our hearts harden. So he gets involved and starts trying to soften the heart and get you to see who he is. He said, I didn't plan that. I planned better things for you. But you are so lost in your trespasses and sins that you have been blind to the fact that you were never created to be dead like you're living. Trespasses challenge the boundaries. Sin is because you have been pushing boundaries, you're starting to settle for a lesser portion living, which is outside of what God created you to walk into. So wake up to the truth that God says, I am more than you, and I love you too much to let you stay there, so let me show you what I can do. Here is my son. And if I can raise him from the pit of hell to my seat, in heavenly places, imagine what I have already done for you. And then Paul starts reminding us what the life of a dead man looks like. Is this okay? Okay. Verse 2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Let me just stop right there. You're obeying one of two things. I'll let you connect the dots. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. Some scripture says the prince of the power of the air. Okay, we're getting in that minute. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. It doesn't get any more plain than that. People who are not walking as alive in Christ are obeying Satan. Whether they know it or not, that's why he's called a deceiver. There is no other explanation. You're either following the king or you're following the prince. I don't know about you, but I don't want to follow a prince. I want to follow the one who has all authority and can tell the prince where he's going. Right? Right? All of us used to live that way. So, eye-opener. At one point, everyone in this room has been under the authority and listening to and following Satan, whether you, oh, not me. Yes, you have. Don't be deceived. Because once you were dead, following a prince, now you're alive, seated with the king. By our very, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. He says, you used to live in trespasses and sin. How do we define living in it? It says you're living in this world like the world. The world is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And all who refuse to obey God are walking in agreement with the one who stirs up chaos and corruption in an unseen realm called the air. He is the prince of the powers of the air, an unseen realm in the world. And God says, I need you to function like life so that all things will start to operate according to the truth that they are to be under the authority of Christ. 
And anyone that does not understand they're alive is walking as if that dead authority is actual authority. Why is he called the prince? Because even he has to submit to the king. When he went after Job, he had to go into the courts and ask permission. That's why I'm 100% in agreement with if you are being attacked intentionally, it should be the biggest compliment of your life. Because he had to get permission to deal with something that he was threatened by. He's threatened by people who follow the king and have realized that they don't want to follow a prince who has no authority. Is this? Paul says, at one time we all walked in that. And that was your old man. The old identity. The dead man. And you followed desires of a sinful nature. The nature that found a natural agreement with the prince of the power of the air. Why can he do that? Why is it that the prince of the power of the air, why is it Satan can stir up all this chaos and confusion and corruption? Because his, he was created to stir up worship in the heavenlies. And when he was cast down because of trying to take glory, he only affected the thing that man gave him the authority to affect. Started stirring it up. And as time goes on, I don't know if you notice, it's stirring up even more and more and more. And the more it stirs up, the more silent the church gets. Now, this is going to cause some disagreement. Just roll with it. I hope you understand this. But we have started to adopt this idea that, well, as time goes on, the church is going to have to take a step back. And just watch the world because it's going to get worse and Satan's going to, you know, the, well, the end time says that it's going to get worse. And it's, yes, it's going to get worse. But as it gets worse, we have the authority to say, let's get it back into order. And we're not going to get it back into order if all we do is preach that Jesus saved you. We've got to teach people what it means to be saved. It means you're alive. You don't have to operate under the authority of all this other false stuff. We've got to teach people what it means to be in the kingdom. What is in the kingdom? It's a new way of government. It's a new system. It's a new order. It's a new way of living. It's not living by an old Levitical law. It's not living by an old Mosaic law. It is we are, under a king, we are in a kingdom where the king owns everything. So I am not going to treat everything I have as if it's mine. I'm going to manage it because I have a relationship with the one who owns it. That's why he calls you to tithe. He says, I own everything. Give me a portion. When Jesus was walking the earth and he was preparing for the crucifixion, he says, "Go." He, 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 he asked for uh, um, the, the lamb. And when he spoke to the, to the people saying, hey, go tell him I need it, he said, tell him the owner has need of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The donkey, donkey, donkey. When he wanted to come in on Palm Sunday, the donkey, sorry, land, donkey. He came in on the donkey, but how he got the donkey, he says, tell him the owner has need of it. What does that mean? The king owned the donkey, even though the donkey was owned by another person. But when you start to understand that the king owns all things, you have no issue with sacrifice, because it's not yours, it's his. Okay. Your new man does not walk old. Because your old man got crucified when Jesus was crucified and you realize that you are alive and you are never having to come into agreement with a dead nature. I am no longer going to live under the guidance of a false prince. I am going to live alive under the guidance of the true king. 
Now, verse 3 says, we followed the inclinations of sinful nature. I don't know if y'all bored or what. Are y'all okay? Okay. We followed the inclinations of sinful nature. Some translations say lust of the flesh. I've taught this before, but let me say it again. You're made up of three things. A spirit, a soul, a body. Your spirit is either saved or not. Under the submission to the king or under the submission to the prince. Your soul is in the process of being saved. Some would call it sanctification, right? Your mind, your will, your emotions, your flesh will never be saved. Why? Because God says, I'm giving you a new body out of heaven on the new earth. Why do I point that out? It says, we followed the inclinations of sinful nature, which was the lust of the flesh. We followed the lust of the thing destined to die. You're a new man under the influence of a king, meaning your new spirit should be directing your soul and your body. The problem is when you don't know that, you're directed by, etern- you're directed by an eternal thing, which is your dying flesh. It's dead. What is the eternal destination of your flesh? Death. So when you start to follow what your flesh tells you, you're following death for all eternity. What does it mean to crucify my flesh? I will not live according to what it wants. I will put my flesh and my soul under submission to my king. I'm not going to live outside his nature. I'm going to walk in such a way where he says he has made me worthy of his nature. I am no longer having to submit to a fallen one. Is this too? Okay. So he says this in verse 4. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Again, you were dead because of your sins, not because he predestined you for death. But then he says God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So here's what the church has missed. It's not that Jesus saved you so that the Father will pour out his mercy and love. It's that the Father loved us and is so merciful that he gave us Christ to save us from death. Because we have portrayed this idea that Jesus convinces his daddy to love us. That's called false teaching. But we have adopted this idea in the church that Jesus loves us more than the Father. No, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, it's not trying to tell you that Jesus paid a price so the Father would love you. It's trying to show you that the Father loved you in a fallen state, walking outside of his nature. So he said, I have so much grace and so much mercy. Let me give you the one thing that will cause you to be worthy of walking back into my nature. (sighs) Y'all getting this? Okay. You don't get grace because of Jesus. You got Jesus because of grace. Jesus came to show us the Father. Not to show us how mad and, and horrible he was, but to show us I'm here because he focused on you and saw how far off and how gone you were. And he says, my Father loved you so much that he gave you me. And the ecclesia, the church, has worshipped resurrection through celebrations, but true worship is walking alive because of the grace that took you out of the grave. Because we can come together on April 16th and praise Jesus for his resurrection, but I would, I would argue that for most people it's not genuine praise. 
Because if you still walk in dead, then you have not had the revelation that he took you out of that dead place. Hmm. Let us define grace even further. He didn't focus on your trespasses and your sins. Remember what it said? You're dead because of what? Trespasses and sins. He didn't focus on those. Because he is full of grace and mercy, he focused on you. And he said, let me give you a way to get through the trespasses and sin that have separated you from me. I heard someone say this to me. It was on the walk to Emmaus. But someone said this to me, who was on the walk to Emmaus. It was a, they call it clergy in the walk. Clergy. And he sat down and he was like, hey, I heard you're a pastor. I said, yeah, that's what they call me. And, and um, he started talking and he said, so what, what are you? And I said, well, uh, I, I grew up Baptist, intern Methodist, worked for uh, Assembly of God, and now I'm non-denominational. And he was just, he was like, Okay. He says, so Assembly of God, that's what he focused on. So, so Assembly of God, so that's like Pentecostal, right? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, charismatics, they, they just put the Holy Spirit above the Father and Jesus. And, and, and this guy's a community church guy, and I thought to myself, but don't you put Jesus over the Father and the Spirit? Have you ever heard anyone in the modern church pray to the Father much? Who do they pray to? Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus made a way for us to have direct communication. Well, that doesn't matter. Well, yeah, yeah, it does. You have to open your eyes to what he did. Jesus made a way for you to have direct relationship with the Father. And it, let me prove it. He, is, he sat down at his right hand and is praying on your behalf. hearing the conversations you're having with the Father. And when you don't know what to pray, he says, let me give you my spirit. It actually does matter. Okay? Jesus did not convince God to love us. The Father already did. And I keep on driving this home because we have got to stop trying to make ourselves lovable. What do you mean make ourselves lovable? Well, I've had a bad day, so I've got to pray more, and I've got to go to church more, and let me repent more, and let me confess more. None of that changes how much he loves you. You know what all that is? It's ways to take off your grave clothes. Verse 6, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth of, of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. It says... He raised us from the dead. We are united and seated with him so that he can point to us to show his grace and kindness in all future ages. He who was and is and is to come was working in our past, our present, and our future. He says, you were dead, I raised you from death, now I want you to realize that you are united and that you are seated. You're not earning the seat. It's not that you will be united one day. It's you already are united and you already are seated. Let me drive this home even more. You are just as united and seated with Christ now as you will be in heaven. But the church wants us to believe that we'll be more united in heaven as a fear-mongering tactic to get us saved. That's not true. You are just as seated now as you will be seated when you're there. 
And you need to get that so that you can understand what it means to have all things under your feet. You're seated in heaven. You're united right now. That is why we have nothing to fear. That's why we have nothing to worry about. When you understand that you are alive, it means you have reached the place that he needs you to be for all eternity. You're not going to get any more alive except you're going to get a new flesh. You're seated. And he said, when you start to understand that you're seated, I'm going to point people to you to see my grace and kindness. Well, how are people going to see grace and kindness toward me? If you start looking like you're not dead. People should see his grace and his kindness in the example that is you. So that other dead people can see what it means to be raised from death to life. What does it mean to be seated with the Father because we're united with Jesus? You realize that you are already in eternity, not waiting for it. We've got to get out of this whole thing of I can't wait to get to heaven. We've got to get out of this mindset of I can't wait to meet the Father. You should have already met him. And we're laughing because we know it's truth. But if we were walking seated, then we wouldn't be walking around so pitiful looking dead. Why aren't miracles being poured out in the church? It's not because God is waiting for the right time. It's been the right time the moment he rose up three days later. And when the, 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 the church and Acts were seeking God without a system, without theology, without books, without intellect, they saw tons of fire and healings and they were more unified than ever and the church cares more about their interpretation of this when really and truthfully, let me push your religious minds, we don't need this. Is it good? Yeah. But can I point out to you that there's also a gospel of Kyle and a gospel of John and a gospel of Ashlyn? Why do we get so hung up on just these four gospels? He says, I created you to be a gospel. What is, you know what word gospel means? It means a journal. Where's yours? Because the journal I'm seeing, I don't want to read. What about, what, 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 what about in 60 years? Are, are the people of God in 60 years going to read about the gospel that happened at Relentless Church in Pooler in 2022? Or are they going to say, Paul didn't even want to write to them. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I want to live seated. I want to live in my alive state of being united. And it's starting to happen. There's been people in this house. I get a story every week about a physical healing. And you know where it never happens? Because when you realize who you are, it doesn't have to happen there because you're at the altar all day and night. We're seated. This, this is like so good. And I love it because other people not here would call me crazy and stupid. And it's great. I love it. Hmm. I would argue that anyone focused on when is revealing a lack of understanding on the core principle that the when is now. When's Christ returning? Well, he, well, he, he actually came once and said, don't focus on the second coming. That's actually his words. Stop looking in the clouds. So why do we spend hours trying to figure out when? When we should be obsessed with what we're seated to operate in now. Let me, let me read verse 7 again. I'm going to push the envelope a little bit more. God can point to us in all future ages. 
as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are now to Christ. All future ages. Many think that the age, of the, com- the age to come means Christ is going to reign one day, and that's the age. But what does the scripture says? God points to us in all future ages. Can I, can I push? Yeah. Maybe we need to understand that we're not waiting on the age to come. We're actually in the age to come. Because he wants to point to us to reveal him in all ages. Well, when, when is the age of Christ coming? You, you just told me that you don't understand where you're seated. Because if Christ is the head and we are the body, body of Christ, Christ is in the earth. But the earth isn't seeing it because we haven't had that revelation. Is this okay? Okay. Verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God saved you. Nothing because of what you did. It's a gift. What is it a gift for? Belonging. For you belong to him. You can't take credit for it. Therefore, you should live a life postured, giving him glory for a gift that's been poured out. It's not let me praise God so I I can have a better day. It's let me praise God because I have the day. It's let me manage every part of my life for his glory and not my own. What religion does is try to convince you that you must do in order to stay saved. And then we pervert that idea, because how many of you know you don't have to do anything to stay saved? You don't have to do works to stay saved, right? But here's where the church has perverted that idea. They teach this false doctrine called once saved, always saved. And some of you may have believed that, and maybe you still do. I hope tonight you'll understand how false that is. It's not once saved, always saved. And because we perverted and had this idea that once saved, always saved, what happens is people live like hell because, hey, we can't be not saved. And we've talked about many times. Jesus said, many will proclaim my name, but I will say to them, I never knew you. And there's also a scripture that says there's one unforgivable sin. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But has anyone ever explained to you what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is? We're going to get into it, okay? I'm almost done, believe it or not. I hope this has been okay. I, you cannot lose your salvation. Let me just say, you cannot lose your salvation, Okay? But you can certainly walk out based on intentional blasphemy. Because this is what John 10 says, verse 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Okay? My Father has given them to me. He's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch him from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is what it means. The key word here is the thing that defines a sheep is simply this, knowing him and following. He says, for those that follow me, no one can ever take him away. He was explaining the reason they're his sheep is because they know him and they follow him. The sheep cannot be snatched, but a sheep can decide not to follow. And they would decide they no longer want to follow because they no longer want him, which is called blasphemy of Holy Spirit. Not your sins, not your transgressions. It's your decision to say, I no longer want you. Matthew 12, 32. Is it? 
Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Either in this world or the world to come. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus. So the rejection of the Holy Spirit is the rejection of Jesus, which is the rejection of the Father. And the reason you need to understand death is so that you can walk as alive and never want to look back on what the dead thing was. You want to know how you blaspheme the Spirit or not? It's simply this. If you have no desire for Him, you're blaspheming Holy Spirit. Because we'll get into this religious rhetoric of, well, have I blasphemed? Because, I mean, I, I said one time, like, like, God, where are you at? That's not blasphemy. You're looking for him. It's not, I've sinned a lot last month. Is God mad at me? Your sins cannot take you. Your transgressions cannot take you. And the enemy cannot snatch you. It's on you. But when you reject the Spirit's voice over and over and over, what happens is it makes us have a hardened heart against Jesus, which puts you on a path toward full rejection. So how does Jesus get involved? How does God get involved so that you will never want to blaspheme him or so that your heart doesn't get hardened? He gives you a Holy Spirit to keep convicting you so that hardening can't happen. He says, no, 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 that's not you. Oh, Lord, I, I'm sorry, I confess. No, that's not you. Let, let me repent. Do you see how it's working? He said, it, it's, it's not the Holy, we talk a lot about how the Holy Spirit gives you power, but he also gives you conviction so that your heart never becomes hardened. People always talk about how in, in, in the times of uh, Moses that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The chapter before talks about how Pharaoh's heart became hardened because he stopped listening. Your heart can actually be hardened because you say, I reject that. So, so he sends Holy Spirit to say, no, 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 no. And you can submit to it or you go away from it. And the more you go away from it, it's harder and harder and harder and harder. And that's why a lot of people are so wrapped up in the false identity of dead that they can't see they're alive. And then God in his grace says, but I've got a plan for that. And the plan's you. Because they can know about my son and they can read about my son, but sometimes the only way they're going to see my son is another plan, and that's called the restoration of my sons and daughters. Let me just say it another way. The plan was actually always you. Is this pushing too much or are y'all getting this? Okay. God's grace says, I gave you salvation. You're mine. Nothing can take you from me. And I'm giving you Holy Spirit for power and conviction to keep you so close that you never have a desire to reject me. Because we hear things like, well, the Holy Spirit convicts, but don't you ever ask, why do I need it? This is why. Because you can blaspheme the Spirit. And as people walking seated with Christ, he says, not only are you alive, but you're my masterpiece. The word there actually means something like a, 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 a poem. You are, you, are, you are a masterpiece. You're beautiful. Everything about you. Well, look at the verse again. I'll read this. We're closing with this. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things that he planned for us. Long ago, he says, I've made you new, getting you to come alive into the revelation of the great masterpiece you are so that you can start to do what you are, were originally intended for. You were never intended for bad. You were always intended for good. That's why he never wanted us to eat of the knowledge of good and evil because he'd rather us only have the knowledge of him. Because when you have the knowledge that there is good and evil, then your free will operates into choosing. At one time, all we knew was him, so we chose him. And then one day, 
The enemy started whispering something else. And we chose that. And he says, but not even the whisper of the snake is more powerful than me. And I'm going after you. My grace has always gone after you. I've got destiny. I've got purpose for you. And he says, but son or daughter, you have not walked into any of it. But if you realize who you are in me, I can redeem every lost step so that you have not wasted any time. You know what the truth of the revelation I'm talking about is? It's simply this. You ever hear about those people who they're like 60 years old and they say, man, if I could only change what I did when I was 20 because I've lost so much time. With Christ Jesus, you never lose it. He can take 60 years of missteps and make it work together in a moment. You didn't waste time because you had a revelation later in life. His power got involved with that. Take that grave clothes off that you wasted time. He redeems the time. You're not dead. You're alive. Working out your salvation is literally the way he keeps you close so you have no desire to do anything else. You ever notice that you feel closer to God when you serve him? It's not because your service earns closeness. It's that serving him keeps your heart postured toward your original identity. He saved you and made you new so that you can walk in what you were created for, which is the evidence of where you're seated. And when you start walking in where you're seated, the dead will finally see everlasting life in the sons and daughters of God. You are alive. Nothing can take you from him. Nothing can change that identity. So start walking out of the grave. Amen. Let's stand. Guys, this, it, it's so important to understand. Do you, you realize we just spent an hour talking about you were dead? It is so important to understand this concept because it will shift how you respond to anyone. It will shift how you address anyone. And it should shift your relationship in the body. You know, you know one compliment I get all the time from people? They appreciate how transparent I am and that they can feel comfortable with saying, hey, let me challenge you on this. Because I understand that if I'm seated with him, then maybe they're showing me a piece of grave clothes, a grave cloth that I'm not aware of. I'm not above you. We're with each other. What's the difference in me than you? I'm functioning in what I'm supposed to function in. That's it. Maybe some people in this room are meant to function in what I'm doing. Let's raise you up and take the, the grave clothes off. Right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not better than you. I'm not different than you. I'm in a function that may be different than you. And God says, walk out of the grave and start understanding what you're supposed to function in. Maybe you already are. But there's still grave cloths to take off. There's still the understanding that God chose you to be the, the evidence of his grace and kindness through all the earth. So when you go eat tonight and the waiter makes you mad, do you show him the dead man? Or do you show him grace and kindness? Right? When, when you talk about the family member you can't stand, that has hurt you, you can honor them like a living being or you can talk about them in your dead state. Right? It's, it's everything. You have to realize that you belong in that seat. You were actually predestined for it. You were predestined to be united. I, I put up a post not too long ago that said, what if I told you that predestination has nothing to do with heaven or hell? Let me tell you what it means. The scripture says you were predestined to be conformed to his image.
That means even before he needed to show you what hell was, you were predestined for an image. You want to know what the image was? It was Adam. Then he said, well, let me show you again. This is my son. This is your image. And if you're not walking in that image, then you are not walking united and seated. You're alive, just like my son. So start walking. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for this word. I pray that we would just embrace the truth of who we are. God, I pray that as we leave here tonight, that we will walk away with an intended focus on the fact that we are alive. God, if there's any grave cloths that need to come off, God, put people into our path to show us so that we can receive it because we don't want to walk in what we were. We want to walk in who we were created to be. So, Father, we thank you that you gave us your son so that we could be that. We thank you that you gave us your spirit so that our hearts would not be hardened. We thank you that you loved us so much that you did everything and you did the biggest display of power just for us. We love you, God. We love you. Show us the steps we're to take. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Amen. Amen.